God's plan in the message, but I was thinking, you know, God has a plan this week for us. And he's going to ask of us maybe he needs some of your talent or some of your time some of your treasure some of your knowledge of his word to advance his plan to advance his kingdom to advance his gospel and so lord right now we just declare we don't we don't know what that's going to be this week but we offer it to you anyway and so, Lord, we will just walk through this week with open hands, our whole lives in our open hands, and whatever you need, we will give, because we get to follow you, we get to give to you so that you can work in us and then through us to advance your plan. And so, Lord, we, in advance, offer our lives to you, whatever that looks like this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. <coughs> All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So, uh, quick announcement. In your bulletins, there's a, a white piece of paper. It says, Be the Church, Serving Sunday. At the top, some pictures of amazing uh, brothers and sisters in our church family. Take a look at that. On August 11th, uh, Sunday will look different than a typical Sunday. We will gather here at 9 o'clock for a little bit of worship and uh, prayer. And then we will go uh, in project teams to go and serve uh, in different ways in our community. So that's what uh, serving Sunday will look like. So August 11th. Um, on the back of that paper is a nomination. If you have a neighbor, a friend, or a, uh, a family member that is in need, needs maybe some yard work or some gutters fixed or some, something painted or, or just a visit, uh, we have a visitation team as well. Uh, whatever it might be, uh, fill that out. Nominate your project. You don't have to be the project manager to nominate a project. Uh, and that will, that will help us uh, define what we're going to do on the 11th in terms of projects. So very excited about uh, Serving Sunday on August 11th. I hope you are as well. Anybody excited about Serving Sunday? Uh, all right, good. Good. All right, the other half will get excited. All right, you guys are awesome. So turn to Romans chapter 11, page 9. 46. Uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Romans. We're in, we're in this section of Romans, Romans 9 through 11. There's a lot of different purposes, a lot of different reasons why uh, Paul wrote it, but primarily what we're looking at is this section is about making choices, not choices like what uh, we're going to have for lunch when Pastor Tim gets done with his very long sermon. It's more about the big choices in life. And today the big choice is, do I choose God's plan? Do I choose God's plan? Now, I have a question, a little uh, church family participation. Think about this question for a moment. What does a life that feels like smooth sailing look like to you? 
If life was smooth sailing, <laughs> I heard that, what would it look like to you? Somebody already said, I have no idea. <laughs> I bet you do. You've never experienced it. But you, so what does it look like? What are, what are a couple things, in you, if it was smooth sailing, it would look like for you? Anybody? Palm trees. Plans go as planned. Okay, plans go according to plan. No sickness and good jobs. No sickness and good jobs. Anybody? What's that? Hit the golf ball straight. I will never be able to do that. Anybody else? A good night's sleep. No debt. No problems. Problems, no problems. Anybody else? A couple more? Melinda? Yeah. No bad news. No bad news. One more. No war. no war. Amen to that. So I was thinking of how would I answer that? And this is like a partial answer, but this is, this is what I came up with. I had a little more time to think about it than, of course, you did. So this is what I wrote. This was kind of what smooth sailing would look like for me. Uh, people I love are doing well. I know the adventure that God has called me to and I'm getting the task done to accomplish the mission he's given me. I have room in my schedule to help others. And no one is mad at me. <laughs> so if you want to upset my smooth life, just get mad at me and, and it's all out the window. Okay, so that's a pretty good picture for me of what smooth sailing would look like. All of you have in your minds a picture of what smooth sailing looks like for you. Kind of looks like that, doesn't it? Nice and smooth all the way to the finish line. But downhill, well, come on, you can't have everything, Bill. <laughs> come on, man. All right. Okay. Right, yeah. All right, I'll have to fix the drawing. All right, for Bill and Tom. But, but we all know life really isn't like that. There it is. Okay. Life has its ups and its downs, its challenges, its struggles, its unexpected disasters, those moments when you take a wrong step and you fall through the roof, the turns and twists of life. And most of the time, we have no control over our external circumstances. In fact, 99% of the time, we don't control our external circumstances. But I read something this week as I, I was spending time with the Lord, reading the Bible. It's in Isaiah 26, verse 7. Listen to what this says. It's, it's changed my thinking. The path of the righteous is level. Then it says you, meaning God, God, you make level the way of the righteous. So perhaps we're seeing, seeing it all wrong. Perhaps we're seeing life with our own eyes and not with God's eyes. I wonder if the smooth path, yeah, this is deep, get ready. I wonder if the smooth path that we want to live is not smooth at all because God did not equip us to live a smooth path kind of life. Perhaps the path with the hills and the valleys and the obstacles is the smooth path in God's eyes because he has equipped us 
to travel on that path. Would it ever make sense to put square wheels on a bicycle? All right, let's watch. You might be wrong. Hike is designed for optimal speed and acceleration on smooth paved roads due to the narrow tire size. Even for city riding, a mountain bike may be more beneficial due to the possible uneven pavement and cracks in the road. In essence, it's all about the wheels. A square wheel tricycle would only be beneficial for extremely bumpy terrain. To ride smoothly, it would require a very special roadway. The square wheel trike can roll just as smoothly as a normal bicycle, assuming it travels over evenly spaced shapes. Those shapes? Inverted catenaries. A catenary corresponds to the graph function called the hyperbolic cosine. Turning it upside down returns the inverted catenary necessary for a square wheel to roll. So there could be a time when sw square wheels is beneficial. So here's the deal. Perhaps God designed the path for our lives more like a series of what? Inverted cantonaries instead of a smooth service. And he's equipped us with square wheels instead of round wheels. Perhaps if we were able to follow God's plan more closely, life inside would be smoother even when life outside is rough and unpredictable. So today in Romans chapter 11, Paul shows us that God has a plan. And our choice is whether we choose his plan or try to follow our own. God has a plan. At the beginning of Romans 11, Paul says this, verse 1, he says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul wants to make it clear to the Gentiles, so everyone who's not an Israelite, that God has not rejected the Israelites, even though they as a nation have rejected the Messiah. After all, Paul's an Israelite, and Jesus did not reject him when Paul was Saul and when he was persecuting and trying to destroy the church. Instead, Jesus reached out to him and miraculously transformed him. So Paul was not rejected, even though he rejected the Messiah. He's living proof that someone who rejects Jesus can still receive God's grace. So grace, God's favor, extended to people who do not deserve that favor. And last week, we talked about grace. We talked about how it doesn't come to us through our works, but it comes to us 
through faith. Romans 11.6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So instead, grace comes through faith. Paul wrote about it beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8-9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God's grace is for the Israelites, God's chosen people. They're not rejected. Romans 11.5 says, So too, at this present time, there is a remnant, a remnant of Israelites chosen by grace. So even after God's chosen people, the Israelites, rejected Jesus, who's the Messiah, there was a remnant who were chosen by God to receive his grace. As we've seen in previous chapters, not only is God's grace extended to the Israelites, but also extended to the Gentiles. So everyone who's not an Israelite. So I think that's all of us. God's grace is extended to the, the Gentiles. So we've read about this in, in Romans so far. We've heard things like all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so all includes the Gentiles and the Israelites. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. When we were still sinners, Jesus died for us to pay for our sins. And then last week we read these verses. They bear repeating. Listen to this. This is such good news. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, between Israelite and Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name will be saved. So grace, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. God's plan begins with his willingness to extend grace to us, even though we don't deserve it. So God has a plan, and it begins with grace. And another part of God's plan is that he is always at work. We read about this in Romans 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. In Romans 11, verse 11 through 15, we see an example of how this works, how God is always at work. Listen, listen to this, and then we'll summarize it. See in these verses, see God at work. So Paul writes, so I ask, did they, the Israelites, stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? 
All right, so let's summarize these verses. Here we go. God chooses the Israelites, and the Israelites stumble because they reject the Messiah, Jesus. By the way, that's a big stumble. Okay, that's not just falling through the ceiling into your family room. That's a bigger stumble than that. But the Israelites' rejection of the Messiah kick off this chain reaction of events that leads to the Gentiles hearing the gospel and giving their life to Jesus. So Israel's rejection creates this chain reaction so that the Gentiles hear about Jesus and give their lives to him and are saved. That's what verse 11 says. Through the Israelites' trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Then as the Gentiles experience the joy of their salvation, Paul's hope is that the Israelites will see what the Gentiles are experiencing it, and they will be jealous, and they will turn back to the Messiah. That's God at work. We've all probably seen this kind of scenario played out in our lives or in the life of someone we're close to. Someone makes a sinful decision, and it pushes another person closer to Jesus. Have you ever seen that played out in someone's life? During my tour of duty in Baghdad in 2003, I saw many people draw close to the Lord. And we were there because of someone's bad, sinful decision. Saddam Hussein and his his cohorts caused us to be there. But because we were there, people came to know the Lord. I had the, the joy of being in Bible study with folks from all over the world. Iraq. India, England, South America, Fiji Islands, Texas, all over the world. (laughs) The opposite is true as well. As God works, he uses people who make godly decisions to help others draw closer to Jesus. All of us have followers of Jesus in our lives who are helping us Draw closer to Jesus. Their lives impact us. So part of God's plan is he uses the good and the bad of humanity to draw people to himself. God is always at work. God is always at work. The all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present creator of the universe is always at work wooing humanity to come to him to receive his grace. No one, no one is too far from God, and no one is in a place where Jesus isn't there already. So God's plan begins with grace, and God is always at work, always at work, extending his grace to everyone. Now, have you ever been in a situation where everything is going great? Sure, you're cooking with gas. You're running on all cylinders. I had to look this one up. Life is on fleek. Did I get that right? Brandy's like, not, not really, Pastor Tim. It means it's on point. 
it's focused. It's everything's cooking with gas and, and running on all cylinders. All right. I tried to be a little millennial there, but. <laughs> so what's the trap when life is good? We might be tempted to say what? Look at me. Look at what I did. Look at me. When things are going well at work, at home, or at the gym, we might say, look at me. How about when life is not so good? The trap here is to point to someone else. Because surely, certainly, we can't be the cause of the problem. We might be tempted to say, look at them. So whether it's look at me when everything is great or look at them when things aren't so good, the issue is pride, right? The issue is pride. And Paul had a warning for the Gentiles about pride. He was concerned that the Gentiles who had surrendered their lives to Jesus and were experiencing this amazing relationship with Jesus would develop a prideful attitude about their salvation and that they would look down at the Israelites who had rejected Jesus. He's concerned that they would think the Israelites were too far from God to ever be saved. That their rejection of the Messiah disqualified them from receiving God's grace. And this is Paul's warning to the Gentiles in verse 16 through 18. He says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, the imagery there is God is the root and his followers are the branches. Then he says, But if some of the branches were broken off, so that's referring to the Israelites. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, the Gentiles, were grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. In other words, the ones that are broken off, the Israelites. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. So Paul tells the Gentiles, it is true that the Israelites have been broken off, and God has made room for you to be grafted in. But do not think that you are all that and that the Israelites are losers. I always forget. Which one? Is it this one? Is it this one? Okay. Such a... Remember, you're grafted into the tree by God. You didn't do anything to be grafted in. And your life continues because you're grafted in. The root supports you. You don't support the root. If you've called on the name of the Lord and you're a follower of Jesus, God has made room for you. He's grafted you into his kingdom. Your life comes from him. You live through him. You are the branch and he is the root. And so we can never think we're all that, that we've arrived. We can never say with arrogance, look at us. We're part of the kingdom of God. You're a... Because the reality is, all that was done by God. He gets all the glory. We can never look down on another group of people and think they're losers. We can't look down on another group of people because God is always at work wooing them 
to come to him and to experience his grace. No one, no one is too far from God that they can experience his grace. And no one is in a place where Jesus isn't already at. In verse 23, it says this, And even they, the Israelites, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. And so as followers of Jesus, if God is wooing those who don't know him, we get to join him in that work. Now, I don't know if this is still a thing or not, but when I was young, a, a co- that was a long time ago, a common class assignment revolved around this uh, exercise, who gets to be in the lifeboat? Okay, you remember that? Okay, anybody under 40 remember that? Maybe they don't do it anymore. Yeah, Tommy does. Okay, cool. Well, I found it on busyteacher.org, so uh, maybe it's not all that uncommon. So here's the assignment. It says this. There's been an explosion on your ship. Your ship is sinking. There's only one seven-person lifeboat. There's a small deserted island or about 10 kilometers away, but the ocean is filled with sharks. You must choose who will go with you in the lifeboat to the island. And then the students are given a list of 13 people, their, their occupation, whether they're male or female, and their age. And then the individuals need to decide, who gets to go in the lifeboat with me? Now, I guess it's pretty easy to uh, decide who lives and dies if you're guaranteed a spot in the lifeboat. And this is very interesting. Here's the stated purpose of the exercise. It's to build teamwork and learn how to reach consensus. What? What if the exercise was changed around a little bit? You got the students in groups of 13 and said, okay, you're, the, you're this person, you're this person. Everybody gets an identity, uh, uh, their, their job, their age, and their male or female. And then say, okay, you figure out, you 13 figure out which seven are going to be in a lifeboat. Is there going to be teamwork and consensus building? <laughs> Who's the biggest? They get in the boat the fastest. I wonder how many students in that scenario would say, I will give up my space in the lifeboat. So someone else could live. It's kind of a metaphor for our walk with Jesus. We already have eternal life if we're followers of Jesus. God is always inviting people to come to him. And if God is always inviting in our humility, we should join him in that work of always inviting people to experience God's grace, irregardless of what group they belong to. When we're grafted into God's kingdom, we have eternal life. It lasts forever. And so we want to choose humility over pride. We don't have to be prideful because we live forever. 
And so, in a sense, we make room in the lifeboat so that others can experience God's love and His grace. And if the lifeboat's too full, we sacrifice and we get out of the lifeboat so that others can experience God's grace and His love. And if somebody needs a life jacket when we're in the water, we give them our life jacket so they can experience God's grace and His love. We invite people to meet Jesus and then we make sacrifices so they can meet Jesus. We give up our spot in the lifeboat. We give up our life jacket if we have to. Pastor John Harper and his sister and his six-year-old daughter were traveling on the Titanic. This is based on survivors' reports. Harper, Harper helped his sister and his daughter get into a lifeboat. And as he was doing that, and then after that, as the boat was sinking, he was sharing the gospel with the people around him to anybody who would listen. And when he was in the icy water with a life jacket, he was floating near another man, and he he cried out, Are you saved? And the man said, No, I'm not saved. And so John, Pastor Harper responded, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And then Harper saw another man without a life jacket, or another person, don't know if it was a male or female, and he threw his life jacket to that man, and he said, you need this more than I do. And then he drowned. Four years later, when there's a reunion of the survivors of the Titanic, the man to whom Harper witnessed to in the water shared his testimony about how he was saved in the water as the Titanic sank. Saved for eternity, not just rescue. See, we would look at that and go, man, that is a, that is a bumpy road. But now you think of Isaiah 26, verse 7. God makes level the path of the righteous. God put John Harper in that water exactly at the right moment that that man was prepared to hear the gospel. And both live forever. It's better to have square wheels when the terrain is rough, but it's still smooth. Because that's how God has equipped us. He's equipped us for the challenges. He's not equipped us to live a comfortable, smooth, carefree life. He's equipped us for the challenges. God's plan begins with grace. And he's always at work. And in humility, we get to join him in his work. And no one is too far from God to receive his grace, and no one is in a place where Jesus isn't already at. Now, when you buy something, it usually comes with some kind of guarantee or warranty. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Has everybody, anybody ever tried that? Like, I'm not satisfied, I want my money back. Do they really give you your money back? Has anybody ever tried that? A few people? Okay. But we all buy stuff, right? Satisfaction 
guaranteed your money back, but then we're not satisfied, but we don't ask to get our money back. Anyway, that's a whole other story. So, so we get these guarantees, right? And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Does anybody fill out those cards? You know, you get something new and it, the warranty card, who, who fills those out? Wow, more than the first service. Okay, that's cool. I've never filled one out in my whole life. So I had this faucet that was bad, and so I, I figured out who to call, and I called the, the manufacturer, and the first thing they said was, did you fill out the card? And I said, no. And then they said, well, what's the part number? I said, I don't know. And they said, well, okay. And they didn't hang up on me. This guy's an idiot. And hang up. They said, well, take a picture of it and text it to me. And I did that, and the person on the phone said, oh, okay, I know what you need. We'll send the part in the mail tomorrow. What? <laughs> that was awesome. It was a mowing faucet, by the way, in case you ever wanted to know. Not, I don't own stock or anything. But God makes guarantees. God makes guarantees. And his guarantees are, uh, he always comes through. So here's the guarantees that are made in Romans 11. The Bible is filled with God's guarantees. Romans 11, guarantee one real fast. The nation of Israel in the end will be saved. Guarantee number two, God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. God gives you a gift, he's not taking it back. God calls you to salvation. He never stops calling us to salvation until we surrender. And then we're saved, and he doesn't have to call us anymore because we're saved. But his call is irrevocable. He never stops. And the third guarantee is this. God is merciful to the disobedient. That's awesome guarantee. For God, in verse 32, For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So God is merciful to us. When we disobey him, God does not give us what we deserve. He is always inviting, always inviting. This is the guarantee. And so God has a plan, and it begins with his grace. And he's always at work, always inviting. And in humility, we get to join him in his work. I believe, God, I believe God's plan requires us to travel on the path that he sets before us. And that path that he sets before us is not that gradual uphill path. It's one with peaks and valleys, challenges and struggles. It will not be externally smooth, but he's always at work, so internally it can be smooth. Like the young man riding the tricycle with square wheels on that bumpy road. It was a smooth ride for him because he was properly equipped for the path that he was on. And our lives are for him. Our lives are from him, and they're through him, and they're to him, Paul writes. And he equips us for the journey he sets before us. He's always inviting, and in humility we get to join him in that inviting. And so the question is, which plan will we choose the plan that looks smooth, but we're not equipped for that. Or the plan that looks full of challenges, full of adventure, full of difficulties. But we're equipped for that. God has equipped us to live the life 
that he has set before us. So which plan will we choose? Our plan or God's plan? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the church in Rome back in 57 A.D. Lord, we thank you that the words translate to today and direct our steps, help us walk on the path that you have for us. Lord, we acknowledge that you're always at work, but we can't always see what you're doing. But we know that you're calling us to take a next step. And so, Lord, our, our desire is to take those next steps this week. One step at a time, following the path that you have for us, trusting you, trusting that you're at work, and joining you in your work. And so this week, Lord, we want to be inviting to the people around us, not just giving invitations but like Paul, we want our lives to be inviting. We want our lives to cause people to be jealous of what God is doing in us. And so they are drawn to, to you. To you, Lord. So Lord, help our lives be inviting this week as we follow your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.